You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. It's fantastic to see you. As Donnie mentioned, my name is David, and I'm I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today. So just a few housekeeping items, especially if you're new. If you don't know this, we have a Riverside app that you can download, and that just takes a quick second. You can jump online, download that app, and inside of that app, there are digital notes that you can follow along with. If you would like to use a Bible that you brought, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Acts chapter 16 this morning, and if you need a paper Bible, underneath the seat there are some paper Bibles there. And if you are not familiar with the scriptures, Acts is toward the back of your Bible. You can use the table of contents at the front there to try to find that if you would like. But I do want to give you just a little bit of context because we're going to share God's word together for a little bit. And then as Donnie has mentioned, and we're so excited to have those of you who have come to support those who are being baptized. We have 10 between the two services, unless we have some spontaneous baptisms. And let me just tell you about that because you might be sitting here today thinking, especially if you've been around Riverside for a while. Ooh, I wanted to sign up. Oh, I wanted to get that done. I didn't get it done. We have clothes for you. Literally, we've got all kinds of shapes and sizes of clothes back there, perfect for you. So if you are interested as the Spirit moves and as your heart is open today and you'd like to publicly declare your faith in Jesus, we encourage you to do that right on the spot today. You'll be able to see Denise and Mike there in the back anytime and step out and be able to do that. So that'll be coming up in just a little bit. But I want to give you context because as a Riverside family, we pick a theme for a year and we just drill down on that month after month and look at things from different angles. This year, we're in this theme of being all in. Because Jesus has gone all in for us, we're going all in for Jesus. And that may not be your story at this point. You might be skeptical. You might be one of those folks that says, you know, I'm here to support somebody who's being baptized, but I don't know about this whole faith thing. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. Or maybe you had a bad faith experience as you were growing up and you walked away from church. And I can understand that because a lot of folks have had those kinds of experiences. We're hoping today that you would have a great experience, that you would be able to sense the presence of God in this place and that he might actually open your heart up because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. This specific theme uh, is being fleshed out this month in the month of October through the series, Even Me. And this whole idea is of New Testament stories that were written by one of the first uh, kind of second tier followers of Jesus, a second generation. His name was Luke, and he was a doctor, and he thoroughly investigated the claims of Christ. And he looked and he tried to find out all that he possibly could about Jesus. And he talked to all the contemporaries of Jesus that he possibly could. And he wrote down an orderly account. And so the first three weeks come out of his gospel, his story of the life of Christ. Today, we're in his second writing, which is the book of Luke. I'm sorry, which is the book of Acts that tells about after the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the character study of two individuals specifically that had an even me moment. In other words, they were living life. One that we're going to see was pursuing God, trying to find God. The other one, not so much, was a follower of many, many Roman gods But they both had an even me moment where they went all in for Jesus because God's Holy Spirit opened up their hearts and they were transformed. So that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 16. Now, um, I want you to think about your own even me story. Maybe you've had an even me. And the the idea there is Jesus 
could save even me. Jesus could rescue even me. And I don't know about you, but there are some days when I've thought over the years, even me, seriously, really? But that's the good news of what Jesus came to tell us, that God so loved the world that he would give himself to die in our place that we might have this eternal life, that we might actually be able to believe in Jesus and receive from Jesus. And what I want to do by way of introduction this morning is to tell you my even me story. In fact, I'd like to introduce you to five-year-old David, if you could take a look at the screen. Yes, the nerdy glasses got worse and worse and worse as I went through high school. I often would say that my, my glasses would arrive into a room two minutes before I got there. They were so thick. You remember the Coke bottle glasses? That was me. And they weren't as bad at this point. But that's me when I was roughly about five years old. And here's how my even me story, here's my all-in moment with Jesus. You, many, many of you may remember the show Chico and the Man from the 70s. Uh, Freddie Prince Sr. was the star of this show. How many remember Chico and the Man? Now, I was too young to watch it, but man, when you have a television show, Chico and the Man, everybody kind of knew the title of it at least. In January of 1977, Freddie Prince Sr. put a gun to his head and committed suicide. And I remember the conversations with my parents starting at that moment of what I wanted to know, what happens to somebody after they die? My parents began to have these dialogues and these conversations with me over a series of months, and it was in July, July of 1977, that my mom was reading a book by Corey Ten Boom, one of those who had survived the Jewish Holocaust experiences, and she had written a book called In My Father's House, and there was a chapter inside of that book that was entitled Five is Not Too Young, and she was describing how, how, how she, as a Jewish woman, had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one that the Jews had looked for for all of their lives, and how she came to faith and had her all-in, even-me moment. And so my mom started thinking, maybe David's ready. And I certainly, at five years old, I mean, look at, look at that. Show, put, put that back up there. I mean, does that kid look like he could possibly have sinned and made mistakes by then? I mean, look at that. I'm just a picture of an angelic being, aren't I? I'm so glad my sister is not here. <laughs> she would be able to give you the full story. Anything but, and I was aware in my own mind, in my own heart, the Holy Spirit opened my heart, and I realized that even as such a young child, I needed a redeemer. I needed someone who would save me, who would rescue me. And I remember the day my dad was out doing hospital visits, and he came back. He's a pastor, and he came back from doing hospital visits, and I ran to the door, and I said, Daddy, Daddy, I want to ask Jesus into my heart, a Christian way of saying, I want to go all in. And he was so shocked. He was like, wait, I just was gone for an hour. What happened? And I knelt at a couch, an old 70s yellow couch, if you can picture it. And uh, I was in the middle, and my mom and my dad were on either side of me. And I prayed and I talked to Jesus that day. And my mother, being a great lady and, and absolutely helped me to find Jesus and follow him, she had presence of mind to quickly run and jot down, almost verbatim, what I prayed that day. And she gave me a Bible shortly after that. And in that Bible, this is what she wrote about that experience for me. This was my prayer that day. It was a Thursday, July the 28th. I had my even me moment. Jesus. I want you to come into my heart and save me from my sins. Jesus, you know that I'm a sinner and I have made many sins and mistakes. 
please forgive me. Thank you for coming into my heart. Jesus, I want you to know that I love you very much, and you too, God. I still had some theology to work on there. (laughs) Cut me some slack. I was only five, okay? In Jesus' name, amen. And I went and I stood in front of the Cassville United Methodist Church that Sunday, July the 31st, and I made my profession of faith. And it was just a couple of years later that I got into a a baptismal tank and my father had the privilege of baptizing me on a Saturday. The next couple of years later, it was Saturday, August the 25th at Roaring River State Park with bald eagles flying around overhead. I still remember that in my head today. That's my even me story. And yours will sound different. Yours will be different. Maybe you haven't actually had your even me moment. But I've been praying and asking God to reveal himself in such a special way in this time of your life, even today, that he might open your heart because that's what he specializes in. And whatever your experience has been, whatever tragedies, whatever hurts, whatever pains, whatever bad faith examples you might have experienced for yourself, my hope is is that you would be able to see past all of that to the one who hung on a cross for you because he loved you enough to die in your place to cover your many sins and mistakes, that he might demonstrate his love for you. So we're gonna pick it up in Acts chapter 16, and I want you to see how this works for two folks. The story is written again by Luke. He's actually in the story. If you look at the pronouns, you'll see he uses we and us. So he's traveling. This is actually happening about AD 49 to about AD 51, somewhere in that general time frame. Christ died roughly AD 33. So you got just you know, 15, 16, 18 years later, this is happening. Luke is traveling with Paul. Paul was one of the first followers of Jesus after he had had his even me moment, after he'd been transformed. Silas is traveling with them and Timothy, and they're all there together, and they're in Greece. And the story of these two open hearts, let's look at it together, beginning in verse 11. Luke says, we traveled to Philippi. Now, for those of you who have the app notes, I want to encourage you to take a look at the description of what Philippi was. I put some bonus material in there because I didn't want to be here till two o'clock. So there's bonus material in there that gives you all the definition, all the description of Philippi. But Paul has this experience in what would become the doorway to Europe. The first convert, the first person that places their faith that goes all in is in this story. And Europe was then transformed as a result of what happens here. Paul later, uh, back several years later, would actually write a letter back to this church that's birthed in this story that we're looking at. And in this story, what we see here is that Paul is connecting with a group of people who are searching, who are hungry, and the transformation is amazing. Now, when he writes to Philippi, and they're there in Philippi, what I want you to see is a few photos of what this area looked like. Philippi was surrounded by mountains all around. You can see in the first century, the map there of kind of the general vicinity. Again, this experience occurs, and then from there, we head into Europe, and the gospel just keeps spreading the good news of Jesus' grace and forgiveness and his taking on of sin is continued to be passed. You can see there, you can see that this is looking over from a, a distance what Philippi would have looked like in that time based on the ancient ruins. We'll show you some ancient ruins photos there. And you can begin to kind of get a, a picture of this Roman colony that Paul is now entering. And you'll see some of the archways that we're gonna refer to in just a moment. And you'll see the river where 
Lydia, this girl, this lady that we're going to look at, and where this Philippian jailer, perhaps def, most definitely Lydia, but perhaps even the Philippian jailer, were baptized. There, there's still places where you can go and get into the exact water where this occurred. So it says that they traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, a very elite kind of a place. You wanted to live in one of the Roman colonies because they were special and they didn't get taxed. There's a lot of details in there that you can look at on your own, but that's where you wanted to be. And Paul, uh, Luke says, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, why did they go outside? Because in one of those archways, there was a very clear prohibition for unrecognized religions. And Judaism was not recognized as an official religion that the Romans wanted in that city. So there was a prohibition there for that. They go out to the Gangites River and they find a place of prayer. Now, what are they doing at this place of prayer? And even why were they not looking for a synagogue? Well, you had to, in order to be able to have a synagogue, you had to have 10, at least 10 Jewish men. There weren't 10 faithful Jewish men in the city, so they had to be outside to find a place of prayer. And when they would go to this place of prayer, they would look for this place, and when they were there, they would go and they would recite the Shema, the Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would pray the Shemone Esrei, which was one of the most famous prayers in Judaism. They would read from the law, they would read from the prophets, and then they would discuss and they would pray, and they would talk about what they had read. It says that they, we sat down, and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening, the question that we're asking today is, how does God open our hearts so, and, so that we can be enabled to have our even me moments, so that we can have an all-in kind of an experience? It begins with listening. It begins with paying attention with our senses to the God who was speaking to us all around us at all times. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And because of that, she would have been wealthy. Purple cloth was in high demand and they would have paid a lot of money for that. So she was a very wealthy woman from what we can tell in the context of this story. She was a worshiper. Notice this, we all worship something. We all give our time, our talents, our treasures our investment of our lives into something. The question is, is what will we worship? Stuff that's temporal or stuff that's eternal? What will we give our lives away for? Something that is temporal or something that is eternal? She was a worshiper of God. She was a Gentile, but she was not yet fully Jewish. She had not converted to Judaism, but had learned through her conversations, through her whatever, however, either in Thyatira or there in Philippi, somehow she'd learned about this Messiah that the Jews were looking for. And then notice what it says. The Lord, what did he do? Help me out. He opened her heart. That's the theme of today. He opened her heart to respond. And when God opens our hearts, we respond. It's an internal response and it's an external response as we're about to see. She responded to Paul's message. What would Paul have been talking about? Paul would have been teaching. He would have been talking with her about the fact that the Jewish Messiah, the one that she was kind of looking for and couldn't truly figure out in all of Judaism, was going and had come and had been killed and had been raised from the dead. And he would have talked to her about the resurrection and how the power of God had been displayed. 
She responds to that message when she and the members of her household were baptized. Right there in that moment, the first thing that Jesus says when he opens our hearts is that we're supposed to tell other people that we've been transformed. And when each one of these folks get in this tank in just a few moments, they're gonna be plunged under the water, symbolic of the death of Jesus and the death of themselves, that old sinful nature, those old failures, those old mistakes. And they're gonna be brought up out of there, drenched to show the power of God coming upon them. Just a great picture of the new life and the representation of the new life that they now have in Christ. And that's exactly what Paul says. Hey, if you're going all in, Lydia, and all of your family and your friends here, if you're all believing this message, then let's head to the water. Boom, they get in the water and they come up out of there. She invited us to her home, Luke says. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. Notice there's an external hospitality that occurs. When we have a transformation of Jesus, it impacts what we do on the outside. It's not just a private, personal faith. It actually transforms us to engage with the world around us. And Luke says, she persuaded us. So again, notice that there's no synagogue, there's no place of prayer because they didn't have these 10 men. In fact, the rabbi's teaching this is a quote from the first century idea of what rabbis had. It is better that the words of the law be burned than to be delivered to a woman. I'm so thankful that that is not the posture of Paul, that that is not the posture of Jesus, that is not the posture of the first century church, nor is it the posture today. Paul's philosophy was that he would go and he would share with anybody who would listen. And he shares that message and the Holy Spirit softens her heart softens their hearts, he convicts, he draws them, and he enables her and those listening to understand scripture and to understand the truths. And that's exactly what the Spirit does in our generation today. He softens us. He allows us to acknowledge our own mistakes and our failures, to embrace them, to say, Jesus, I take ownership of the mess I've made of my life. I don't have to be condemned. I don't have to hide in shame because he's standing there with arms wide open saying, I wanted you to know how much I love you and I give my life for you. He convicts us of that sin. He enables us to understand. He's helping you to get a hold of something right now in these moments today. And he draws us to Jesus so that we can respond. The story continues and you can read it on your own. There's a slave girl that is there, and she's actually possessed by a demon, a, literally a python spirit. And she, that, that spirit would give her the capacity, the ability to tell the future. And that was very lucrative to her owners. And there's several interactions that Paul has with her over the course of a few days, and he's so grieved by this oppression of this young lady, this possession, that at one point he turns and he prays and he asks Jesus to take care of that situation, and Jesus does. And it makes, and if she, she's freed from that demon, and it makes those owners so mad that they cause this whole big ruckus in town, this whole mess of a situation that fires everybody up and eventually results in Paul and Silas being arrested. And they're beaten. And they're flogged. And we're going to see that here in just a moment. They, they make all these false charges, trumped up charges against them. Here's what happens in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, 
And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And here's our second person, the jailer, was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Still wanna be all in? Absolutely. This kind of persecution, this kind of difficulty is sometimes the result of being all in. Sometimes it's the result of Jesus' command that as he has loved us, so we are to love one another, but not everyone will receive that love. These men were beaten to within an inch of their lives and persecuted. Interesting to note, look at the text, pay attention to the details. Luke leaves nothing left out for us here. Notice it's Paul and it's Silas that are arrested and beaten. It is not Luke and it is not Timothy. Luke was a Gentile, Timothy was half Gentile. They took the two Jews they beat them and they persecuted them. And the anti-Semitism that we've even seen here in our community this weekend finds roots way, way, way back. So in the middle of this pain, in the middle of this anguish, he puts them into this inner cell. But notice that the jailer forgot to gag them. And they still had their voices. And so how did they use their voices? Let's look at it together. Verse, next continuing verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait, what? Where's the complaining? Where's the calling for judgment? Call down judgment on those that have falsely accused us and framed us. Where's the prayers for safety? Where's the prayers for protection? Where's the prayers for rescue? You just don't see it because after the resurrection, what's a jail cell? After the power of God has raised their savior from the dead, what's a little pain in a jail cell to them? The other prisoners, notice what it says, were listening to them. That word for listening is an extremely strong word in the original language. It means they were intently listening. And it's a tremendous reminder to me that when we as followers of Jesus are suffering, other people are always watching and they're listening and they're wondering, does our faith make any difference? Does the truth of the resurrection make any difference in how we face difficulties and hardships in this life? Well, God's gonna open up somebody else's heart in this story. It says that suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. They were designed, this this earthquake was not designed to release Paul and Silas. It was designed to release the Philippian jailer spiritually. At once, all the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. You see, back in that day, if he let his prisoners go, whatever their punishment was supposed to have been, whatever their execution was supposed to have been, he would have received that. And he said, thank you, but no thank you. I will choose suicide over that. That's how bad they would discipline them. All at once, uh, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. Notice Paul's not bitter about this. 
In fact, I think as I read this, Paul looks at this man and he says, you know, we're the one in shackles, but I actually think you're the prisoner. Paul shouts at him, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, here's his open heart. Here's his even me moment. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Perhaps you've been asked that question. Hey, have you been saved? Have you been born again? Have you been changed by Jesus? That's where these ideas come from, from 2,000 years ago. A man asking a question. Hey, how do I get what you've got? You're different. You're trans for something. No one has ever sung, huh, has never sung hymns and prayed the kind of prayers that you're praying in a jail cell, especially at midnight. Most are angry and bitter, but there is a joy about you that I just don't get. They've got a wide open door. What does Paul say? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. Didn't say anything about attending church. Didn't say anything about being a good person. He says, what do you do to be saved? You believe. And that word carries the idea of trust. You put the full weight of all of your past, present, and future on Jesus. And you will be saved. And as you all do that, you and your household, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. Notice the transformation that occurs. Again, not just inwardly, but outwardly at that hour. In other words, there's this outer demonstration of this inner transformation. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were what? Come on, say it with some conviction. They were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was, notice this, he was filled. What was he filled with? With joy. There's a transformation as his heart is opened. He's listened to these men. He's heard them. He fell asleep. Not uncommon for preachers, I'll be honest. <laughs> truth hurts, but that's the truth. But he's transformed because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. How does God open our hearts so that we can go all in? There's something in these stories that we see. They were both listening. There's a spoken word. There's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit where he's stirring their hearts so that their hearts are opened. The Spirit is softening their hearts. He's convicting them. He's doing a work that's underneath that maybe no one else sees, but then when the transformation comes, everyone sees it. Everyone knows it. And it's obvious because they begin to live life differently. And the church is birthed in Philippi through these two, even me, all in stories. Now, every one of us has a story. Not all of us have an even me story, but all of us have a story. And I want to invite you to think for just a minute if Lydia and if the jailer were here today and they were standing before us, what would their story be? How would they describe this even me moment 
How would they picture for us the transformation that occurred within them, the work of the Holy Spirit? I want to invite you to use your imagination because as chance would have it, I found Lydia. She was walking around the streets of Pittsburgh and the jailer was too, amazingly enough. And they would very much like to share with you their even me story. Hello, my name is Lydia. I was from a wealthy city and part of the purple dye and cloth guild. I had a lot of money and a big house, especially for a woman in the first century. But despite all that, something was missing. I was searching for something more. My pagan cult and pantheistic religious background had left me feeling empty inside. Somewhere along the way, I discovered the God the Jews worshiped. Their God was to send a Messiah who would rescue them, but they had been waiting a long time. Still, I was trying to embrace their teaching, but I have to be honest, there were a lot of challenges along the way. First, since I wasn't Jewish by birth, there were a lot of hoops to jump through. And then there were the laws. There were so many laws to try and learn and keep. It was really hard. Actually, I would say it was completely overwhelming and almost impossible. And in addition to that, the group of us who would meet in Philippi, we couldn't even be considered a religious gathering unless we had at least 10 Jewish men in our group. What's up with that? Anyway, one day a group of guys showed up from out of town. They told me about a man they had been following. His name was Jesus. He claimed to be the Messiah they had been searching for and waiting for. He was gonna start something brand new. It was a movement known as The Way. As I heard them talk about him, his life, his death, and his resurrection, I realized at that moment that he was the something more my soul had been searching for and longing for. That day, down by the river, my heart was opened and I believed in Jesus. I put my faith and my trust in him. I suddenly felt brand new on the inside. I felt like I had a purpose. I started walking and living and working towards resourcing out with a passion all that Jesus was doing in the world. The assembly of his followers that were in our town would meet in my home. And one day we had the most amazing unexpected visitors. The local law enforcement official and his family showed up at my house. And before you knew it, God's message of love and grace and forgiveness spread from our community into what you 21st century followers of the way would know as Europe. As far as I know, I was the very first follower of the way in that region. And God's message, it just continued to spread all the way to Rome and beyond. One day, we received a letter from Paul. He had written it in prison. I remember as we read this letter, these words completely challenged me to be all in, and I hope and pray that they will challenge you to do the same. Here's what he wrote. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
Ever since that day down by the river, when God opened my heart and I believed in Jesus, each and every day has just been an ongoing process of walking in step with his spirit and drawing closer to him. I sure hope you'll open your heart to God today. I just know you won't be disappointed. I wasn't always a prison guard. My military career began like most did in the Roman Empire. I was a foot soldier, fought in many battles with valor, and was faithful to my commanding officers. Over the years, I climbed up in rank and eventually retired with commendation. Most of us retired Army veterans tried our best to move to one of the Roman colonies so that we didn't have to pay taxes as we got older. And Philippi seemed like just the place that the gods had in mind for us. Now, I had a large family, and so after my official career, I looked for a job that could provide for what we needed and also take advantage of my military skills. A guard at the local jail seemed like a good fit. They knew I could follow orders, and I was more than happy to enforce the Roman peace whenever way deemed necessary. Now, year after year, it was pretty much the same, until one day the soldiers brought in two Jewish guys from out of town. Apparently, they had been arrested for promoting their religious beliefs in ways that really caused a ruckus in town. Now, I don't know all the details, but the message to me was very clear. Do not let these men escape under your watch. Now, let me tell you, these guys were pretty weird. Even though they had been beat to within an inch of their lives, they were up in the middle of the night singing and praying in ways I had never heard before. Their words and the way that they related to God were mysterious. The other thing I noticed was that the rest of the riffraff were intently listening to what they had to say. As time went on, I became a little more curious myself. Now, it was a long night, and I was pretty tired, and eventually I fell asleep. And that was probably the worst mistake I could have made. Because in the middle of my nap, everything went crazy. There was an earthquake, and in my day's confusion, I thought for sure my prisoners had escaped. And at that moment, I forgot all about my family, and the fear of my own death overcame me. You see, under our law, a guard whose prisoner escapes is liable to the same penalty that they faced. And I couldn't face experiencing such an awful death. So I prepared to end things quickly. But just then, one of the Jews called out to spare my life. And the rest is history. You see, I'm still alive today because they told me about this guy, Jesus. His life, his death, which, by the way, was at the hands of some of my Roman friends, and his resurrection. They were followers of his way of living and loving others. And it's, it's a long story, but I'll just tell you that the way that they prayed and sang and showed me their love that evening convinced me that Jesus had transformed their lives. And they said that he could do that for me too. And the crazy thing is, their God opened my heart. And now I follow him too. You know, no one in my family would ever have imagined that one of my prisoners bound in chains would have brought a message that would set us free from our sin. I'm so thankful that we opened our heart to him. Earlier, 
Lydia mentioned, the letter that Paul had sent to us. I'd like to share some thoughts in it that have consistently reminded me of the mindset of someone who's all in. When I first heard these sentiments, I remembered how Paul and Silas lived this out right before my very eyes the night I almost took my life. I thought I was free, but in reality, they were the ones who were truly free. Even though they were imprisoned, I was the one who was truly bound. That experience changed the direction of my life and my family's life forever. In Paul's letter, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. My hope for you is that if you find yourself in a prison like I did, that you would be open to allowing Jesus to set you free from whatever it is that has you bound. Thank you. So what's your story? How does God open our hearts? You'll notice that there's no magic formula for this. God crafts each person's experience with him personally regarding your past, your present, and into your future. But he wants you to open your heart, and he wants to help you to do that. He won't force himself upon you, but he invites you. From the cross, it is finished for you personally. Has implications for every arena of your life. Has implications for life after death. I want to invite you to bow your hearts with me, and I want to pray as the worship team comes. As you've been listening, has the Spirit of God been moving on you to open your own heart? What circumstances have brought you to this place today? What experiences have you had that have brought you to an awareness of your own desire to find and to be found by Jesus, to follow, to go all in so that you could get into a tank, so that you could tell your spouse, your parents, your children, your coworkers, fellow students, you could, you could tell them, hey, I've had my even me moment. I've went all in with Jesus. That's why I wanna pray with you today. And you heard the words of a five-year-old boy 41 years ago, calling out to Jesus. And I want to invite you to pray whatever might be in your heart today. Same kind of a prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
Thank you for going to the cross, defeating my sin, defeating death. Thank you for rising from the dead. My faith is placed in you and the resurrection. It's placed in your finished work for me. I won't try to earn my way. I won't try to be good enough because I know that I will fall short every single time. But your grace is what I need. And so by faith, I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I call out to you. You said that all who call out to you would be saved. And so I'm leaning into that. I'm trusting in you. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, my brokenness. I don't want to be in darkness any longer. I want to step into the light. And by faith, I will follow you with all the rest of my life. Forgive my sins past Forgive those sins that I find myself in now, those patterns that damage me and hurt others. I don't want to be separated from you, but I want to be in step with you. And I give my life to you. As best as I know today, as best as I understand, I give my life to you. Thank you for coming to live inside of me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for washing over me. I offer you all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.